Thanks for coming tonight to this service. Uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, the word repentance in the, in the uh, book of Isaiah, chapter 6. You know, God raised up Isaiah to be a prophet, uh, to prophesy uh, to God's people about the coming Messiah. And we read throughout Isaiah chapter 8 that Isaiah prophesied about his coming birth. And then in chapters 42 and then 52, 53, he prophesied about uh, Jesus' death on the cross and what that would look like. So God used Isaiah in a very powerful way. But then we read in Isaiah chapter 6 about Isaiah's commissioning, his calling from God. We read in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. King Uzziah was a really great king in Judah. And he reigned for 50-some years, 52 years. He began his reign as king at age 16 all the way through his 68th year. He did many uh, great things uh, for the Jewish people, including build towers and buildings in Jerusalem and infrastructure and, and vineyards and, and cattle. And he strengthened the military. He built the walls around for protection of his people. He was a very respected king. Yet later in his years, King Uzziah compromised. He refused to remove the high places to false gods where people would worship. He also one time acted as a priest. He took on the role of a priest which would have been forbidden by offering incense in the temple to God. And so because of that, Isaiah, or Uzziah, Uzziah King Uzziah, 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 King Uzziah, he, his reign was ended with leprosy. Isaiah heard that King Uzziah had died and he was very, very sad because after all, the throne was now empty. But it was soon after that, almost immediately after that, God caught Isaiah up into heaven. And Isaiah saw another throne. Not Uzziah's throne, but the throne of God. And when he saw this throne, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, as our world falls apart around us, and as we fear many, many different things, we can say, you know, God still is sitting on the throne over every king, over every prince, over every national leader in principality. God still reigns. Isaiah was encouraged when he saw God sitting on the throne. He saw God. Have you seen God? What would it look like if God caught you up in a vision one night and you were staring at God in his very throne? In fact, Isaiah literally saw a throne just like nine other people in, God, in Scripture saw God's throne, including Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the sons of Korah in, in the book of Revelation. John saw God on his throne because God is literally reigning over this universe on his throne. We read in verse 2, Above him were seraphim. Seraphim were angels, literally means burning ones. They're radiant with God's glory, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. 
And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. They cried out, Holy, holy, holy. In the word, when something needed emphasis, it was repeated twice, like when Jesus prayed, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or when he said, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, for emphasis. Or vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But only once was the word repeated three times in Scripture of, of only one person, one thing, and that is God. Holy, holy, holy. Which is even exceedingly more abundant and powerful than twice. In fact, even the most powerful angels who cried out, holy, 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 paled in comparison to their creator. Not even compared, because God, their creator, stood outside of creation. Isaiah just spent the first five chapters in the book of Isaiah faithfully proclaiming God's judgment upon God's unholy people for their disobedience. For example, we read in Isaiah chapter 1, we read in the very beginning, verse 2, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. And then we read a series of woes in the next chapters. I'll just read a couple of them in verse 3. Woe to the wicked, disaster is upon them. Woe meaning judgment. We read in chapter 5, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field. Verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. Uh, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If, if there's any a time that that applies to those who call good evil and evil good, it would be today. Uh, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And, and so it, it goes on, woe, woe, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. God raised up Isaiah to pronounce judgment upon his people. And Isaiah will gladly pronounce judgment upon them because they deserved it. They were disobedient and obstinate. And yet we are also prone to do the same upon others. We kind of enjoy pronouncing judgment, if not publicly in our private conversations. Have you ever noticed that when problems disrupt our lives, then it's always their fault. When we're stressed out about our neighbors, it's their fault. When we don't appreciate what's happening in the school system, it's their fault. When we have difficulties in the extended family, it's always his fault or her fault at the family gathering. Or when government, or when America's falling to pieces, it's because it's their fault on the other side of the aisle. When we don't, whatever, when our church is, is in disarray, it's their fault. That's why we're going to look for another church. When we're driving on the highway, it's always their fault. It's never my fault. It's always their fault. And if they would only change, then my life would be so much better. 
Well, after five chapters, Isaiah was caught up into heaven and he saw God on his throne and something drastically changed in verse five in chapter six. He didn't say, woe to you, it's your fault. He said, woe to me, woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah entered into God's presence and saw him, then immediately the woe turned this way. The four fingers were pointing back at himself. He recognized his own unholiness and how far he fell short. Yeah, he may have been a holy prophet compared to others and really respected. He may have even seen himself that way. But he would have been like that sheep or that flock of sheep we see in the field as we're driving by and we say, oh, look how fluffy and white they are. Oh, that's so beautiful against the, the, the ground and the green or the brown. But then these sheep, they wander out of the pasture and they wander through their gate into someone's backyard who's, who's drying their bed sheets on the line they're white bed sheets, and as the sheep cross in front, then all of a sudden those sheep aren't fluffy and white any longer. They're dirty and dingy compared to the white sheets. As we compare ourselves to God when we're in our, his presence, then all of a sudden we see how far we fall short of his glory and holiness. And this is what happened with Isaiah. Woe is me, I am ruined. Ruin means I'm undone, I'm obliterated, I'm wrecked, I'm broken, I'm helpless. I'm a man of unclean lips. And notice the thing that he featured was, were his lips. This prophet was called to use his lips. It was his gift. It was what gave him self-esteem and purpose. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was a preacher. And yet in God's presence, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. The very thing that gave him pride, he said, oh man, I am broken. I'm so broken. Even my best efforts. And we read in Isaiah 64 later on, he pronounced this, all of us are like the one who is unclean. All, our right, all of our righteous acts, even our best works, are like filthy rags in our own strength. But God didn't leave Isaiah in this broken condition of guilt and condemnation. He offered Isaiah a few gifts, and I just want to name them. The first is the gift of forgiveness we read in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, with it he touched my mouth, my unclean lips. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And God immediately dispatched this angel to go retrieve a coal from the holy fire of God, this refining fire, to take it and touch Isaiah's lips. He was cleansed. In God's presence, when we repent and when we own our sin, immediately God says, all right, he refines us, he forgives us immediately. We don't have to grovel, we simply have to repent ask and he forgives us every time as we celebrate Lent this 
Ash Wednesday as we begin Lent, we remember that Jesus entered the fire of God's judgment in our place as he hung on the cross. He took all of our condemnation and guilt upon himself, and in exchange he gave us his righteousness. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah would say it this way, Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The gift of forgiveness and cleansing. The second is the gift of purpose. God not only cleanses us of our sin immediately, but he gives us, he equips us with purpose. We read in verse 2, Above him were seraphim with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces. Two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So with four of the wings, these seraphim, these holy angels, they covered themselves, either their feet or their face. And with two for flying. The the four wings represent humility. We are in the presence of holy, holy, holy. We can't even look at the face of this holy creator God. We have to cover our feet. They're not even worthy. We holy angels are not even worthy to be in your presence. They covered themselves. But then two were freed up to do God's work of ministry. When God called them and, and dispensed them for ministry, they were freed up to go do the ministry of God. The point is this. Humble adoration always precedes effective service in ministry. In verse 8, Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then Isaiah was able to say, Here I am, send me. I've been refined, I've been purified, I've been empowered and equipped. Here I am, send me. Always humility, repentance, adoration, and worship precedes effective ministry. Jesus put it this way, Abide in me, then you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. All ministry will be like spinning our wheels on a hamster wheel, apart from abiding in Christ, first and foremost. We'll burn out. Our service will be joyless and ineffective for the kingdom unless we first and foremost spend time in God's presence in repentance. And after Isaiah humbled himself in God's presence, it was only then that he was equipped to serve God effectively as his prophet. And the third gift that was offered to Isaiah was the gift of God's presence. And for this, the worship team will lead us in the truth of God's presence. But I'll end with this passage as the worship team comes forward. Isaiah 57, he said, God said, I live in a high and holy place. But not only in a high and holy place, I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And that's what we prepare ourselves for at the beginning of this Lent, that we humble ourselves before the Lord, that we may receive the gift of his forgiveness, the gift of his presence, and the gift of his empowerment to do the ministry to which he's called us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do indeed thank you for taking upon yourself our woe, our judgment, our guilt and condemnation. 
and, and Lord, because you have forgiven us so much, you have made us dispensers of forgiveness as well, that we need not point our fingers at others and, and pronounce woe upon others, but rather we could love our enemies, rather we could um, bless those who persecute us, rather we can be ones who reflect the attitude and spirit of our Lord Jesus who died for us when we were undeserving. Thank you, Lord, for changing us by the refinement of your holy fire. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence here right now, meeting us, to bless us, to empower us, and to walk with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.